ídolo. What's up, my dudes? What is up, my dudettes? It's the Casey's Corner Podcast, reporting live from our usual under the carport studios here in Cutoff, Louisiana. We've got a jam-packed show coming your way here in the next couple of minutes. Uh, we are going to go to the phone lines and talk to Ernest Harvey with Camp Moolah. Ernest is training some of the best and brightest young student athletes in the state of Louisiana. A laundry list that includes guys like five-star prospect Mason Smith, um, Shaz Preston, you know, some of the best prospects in the stage of Kai Douglas. Uh, the best guys are going to Ernest. We're going to talk to him about his growth, Camp Mula's growth, their mission, some of the things they look to get accomplished. It was a wide-ranging interview, and Ernest was fantastic. So we look forward to talking to him a little bit later in the show in the next segment. And then after Ernest, we'll go back to the phone lines and we'll have my buddy Josh Full of Love, an amateur golfer here from LaRose. Josh played in the Louisiana Amateur Championships this past weekend, finished eighth place, eighth place out of more than 100 golfers, the number eight uh, ranked, I guess you could say now, amateur golfer in the state of Louisiana will be joining us. We'll talk about his weekend, his career, um, and some of the things you've got to do to be an accomplished golfer. Um, I am not one. I would love to be one someday, but we'll talk to Josh about all of that. We're going to have a sports update. We're going to talk about the MLB in just a second, the PGA Tour in just a second, Arch Manning in just a second. We'll get some WWE. I'll give you some picks for the PGA Tour event this weekend. Uh, We've got a lot on tap. And then after the call-in guests, we're going to give you a COVID update. A lot of people are nervous, man. Those numbers are starting to creep up. I'm one of them. I'm a little bit nervous, cautiously optimistic, I guess you could say. We'll talk about the new COVID numbers and new COVID report and some of the things that we should be doing to try to flatten or reflatten that curve. So we're going to talk some sports before we get into the COVID. And one of the things that is sort of uh, cracking here in the world of sports is Major League Baseball. Oh my gosh, my, my good friends at Major League Baseball who we've picked on and who we've quite frankly, slaughtered here on this show in the last couple of weeks. They are getting closer to a deal which will uh, finalize their plans to reopen the sport, reopen their season. Um, The owners and players are negotiating face-to-face for the first time in many months. Crazy how when you quit acting like a bunch of pansy asses and you actually get together and meet face-to-face how progress could happen. Um, The owners and players are approaching a deal on a Roughly 60 game season, give or take a few in either direction. Full prorated pay, uh, pay for the players. Um, wonderful to see. You just love to see it. It's a situation where we're going to be getting back at it, getting the sport rolling, and it, it's it's a little bit too late for my liking. I think we should already be having spring training and different things of the sort happening. Better late than never. We needed a season for the future of the sport. I've been very open about that. We needed a season for the survival of the sport. I'm not going to rehash all those different arguments and debates that I've given you guys. But here to tell you that they're getting closer, 60-plus uh, games, a little more than 60 games. The players are trying to get a 65 or 60 ga- 66-game season because 
in terms of scheduling balance, it'll be easier for uh, everyone to play the, the same amount of opponents to create competitive balance for postseason and all that good stuff. So they're getting closer. The, the smart baseball writers, uh, the smart baseball reporters, the people who are connected are telling us on social media today that a deal is near. So kudos to them. It looks like we're going to make some progress and get something done. Um, I wanted to touch on something. We're going to talk some golf. We're going to talk some LSU recruiting. We're going to talk some WWE. But I wanted to touch on something briefly while on the topic of baseball. This past weekend, ESPN had the 30 for 30 documentary about Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Um, one thing, and I'm not going to touch a whole lot on this because admittedly, I was watching a WWE pay-per-view while that documentary was airing. So I didn't see this from cover to cover. I've just kind of watched bits and pieces as it's been playing on replay on ESPN. I think it is absolutely positively one of the great misjustices in all of the sports world that that era of guys, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Roger Clemens, that era will not make it into the Hall of Fame. I think that that is absurd. And I hear baseball purists hollering from their office chair, but they cheated and cheaters shouldn't be rewarded. But until you could tell me exactly who did or who didn't cheat, I got to assume that everybody cheated because that was the steroid era of baseball. And I hate to take a guilty until proven innocent approach, but I've read a lot of literature. I've read a lot of books. I've read a lot of um, interviews and I've heard a lot of people in that era speak. This stuff was going on all over baseball. So how could you tell me that Barry Bonds' home runs don't matter or don't count or are not impressive when he was hitting them off of pitchers who were just as juiced up as he was? How could you tell me that Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame when they were hitting home runs and making history against pitchers who were just as juiced up as they were and who were playing with other players who were just as juiced up as they were? Um, it's absurd. Now, I'm, I would be in favor of... Okay, let's just label the entire era from the late 80s to 2000 as the steroid era. And I would be in favor of giving that era its own wing of the Hall of Fame or putting an asterisk or something of that sort on those guys. But there is no way you could tell the story of Major League Baseball without telling the story of that 1998 season. I remember where I was when Mark, McGraw Mark McGuire hit the game or the record-setting home run. I was... Uh, going to run an errand with my mom in the back of our street at my Aunt Susan's house. And I remember we were in the car having the game on radio as McGuire stepped up to the plate. I remember telling my mom in the street, Mom, hurry up. We've got to get home. I don't want to miss this. And I remember walking in two pitches before he hits the home run. And I'll, I'll remember the call for the rest of my life. Down the left field line, is it enough? Gone. There it is, number 62, touch first, Mark. You're the new single-season home run king. I will remember that for the rest of my life. I would, at that time, I was a big collector. I would collect newspaper articles and stories from every day that he would hit a home run. It was must-see TV. The sport made millions and millions, hundreds of millions, probably even into the billions of dollars based on those seasons and that rise in popularity. Dollars that are now being used to create big, Fat contracts for bums like Bryce Harper, who will never be as good of a player as Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were, and who will never make the impact that those types of players are making. 
those guys got to be in the Hall of Fame. And we could argue and debate that until we're blue in the face. My stance isn't going to change. Can we put them in with an asterisk? Can we put them in with something? They were the best players in the in an entire era of baseball, and they were facing and playing alongside players who were cheating just as badly as they were. So until you could tell me everyone who was cheating, you've got to let these guys in because you can't just pick and choose and cold you know cold test guys. You can't you can't do it like that. We've got to figure out a way to allow these guys to get their place in baseball history. The PGA Tour has announced that for the second straight week, they have no COVID-19 cases. That is wonderful news. This is fresh off of their reopening last weekend at the Charles Schwab Challenge in Fort Worth, Texas, which has become sort of Texas has become sort of a, a hot spot for COVID in the country. It's a place where the cases are rising pretty rapidly. This week, the PGA Tour is back at it. They're at Hilton Head Island, South Carolina for the RBC Heritage. Some big names out there tomorrow. Uh, the tournament starts. I'll give you my picks for the event. I'll pick a, a shark, a sleeper, and a champion again, just like I did last week. And I'll also recap how my picks did last week. Um, I sure hope you guys didn't bet any real money. sure hope you guys didn't you know, put your mortgage on that because if so, there are going to be some homes for sale locally because it was not our best week for, for picking winners. Um, but again, I caution you, and as any betting shark shark would do um it's awfully hard to pick golf man <laughs> it's awfully hard to pick a sport with so much parity a sport where on any given week anything could happen but we'll do our best a little bit later in the show i just wanted to throw out there that for the second straight week they have had no positive tests that's great that shows that um professional sports leagues and are, are successfully utilizing their bubbles and it gives hope that we could potentially have NFL, we could potentially have college football, NBA, MLB, all that stuff that everybody's looking forward to. Our friends over at ESPN Baton Rouge did an interview with Cooper Manning. This was on the Jordi Collada and T-Bob Bebear show um, earlier this week. Cooper Manning, of course, the father of Arch Manning, the big rising prospect in the state of Louisiana quarterback. Um, and Cooper said that unlike other members of the family namely every member of the family who has not gone to lsu um cooper said he and the family are very open to arch potentially becoming an lsu tiger um i have long been critical of the manning family because they claim to be all louisiana all the time and this that and the other but they have consistently chosen other places to attend college i get eli going to ole miss that was at a time you know, where he was following his father's footsteps. I, I don't necessarily understand why Tennessee, um, but whatever it may be, it sounds like the family is maybe warming up to an opportunity for Arch Manning to maybe go to LSU. If he doesn't go to LSU, um, shame on them because you're going to be missing out. Your, your child's going to be missing out on an opportunity to play for the hottest recruiting brand in college football right now. This is not the same LSU under less miles where you were going to go and be poorly coached and underutilized and running toss dives into nine-man boxes. This is an LSU that is going to put their athletes in space, put their talented guys in position to make plays, and it's a place where we've now seen a quarterback could go from an unknown to the first overall pick in the NFL draft while winning a Heisman Trophy in just one year. So I could understand why, and, and look, it, it's – it's contagious. It's growing. We, we saw the young man at St. Thomas More who's made his commitment. Um, he is now going to be at LSU. 
the number one quarterback in the upcoming recruiting class. LSU's in his final three. Um, so quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, all those guys saw what happened last year, and they're saying, hey, man, I want to be a part of that. And by all measures, the upcoming LSU recruiting class is going to be phenomenal. There are some dominoes and some puzzle pieces that have to fall a certain way before that could happen. And with recruiting, you never know. It's such a fickle game. Um, but things are continuing to trend in the right direction. And this is exactly why when everyone, Matt Moscona and Glenn Gilbo and all of the reporters in the Baton Rouge and statewide media were telling me, don't hire Ed Ogeron. That's just a defensive line coach. That's an underwhelming hire, yada, yada, yada. I was telling them that it was the right hire. Go Google it. Go Google it. Google my name and Ed Ogeron, and you will find columns that I wrote at the time of that hire saying it was a grand slam home run and that I would be the only person laughing on the top of the hill when this was all said and done. Guess what? That is exactly how it played out. And my arguments at the time then were exactly how it played out. My arguments were Coach Ogeron knows Louisiana. He's going to delegate responsibility to his other coaches. He's going to recruit his ass off, and the best players are going to come to LSU. And even, and then I also countered that even if it didn't work out in terms of wins and losses, the next coach after Coach Ogeron would be inheriting a talented roster because he's going to recruit like hell. Guess what? That's exactly what happened. LSU is winning on the field. They're winning in terms of getting high-level assistant coaches. They're winning in terms of putting their athletes in space. And they are rapidly emerging as one of the top football programs in the entire country again after all of the ground that inept, overrated Les Miles lost at the end of his tenure. Let's talk some WWE real quickly. We're going to get some things in here in the world of wrestling. First off, thanks to everybody who downloaded our Backlash recap. Casey's Corner After Dark, everybody enjoyed it. Everybody said it was a great episode. I thank you guys so much for that. We're going to be doing some more After Dark episodes after some UFC shows, after some WWE shows. We've got plans to do things like that after high school football games in the fall, after LSU football games in the fall. We're going to continue to update you guys, be informed or keep you informed, and um, give you the latest and greatest. Um, WWE, the big news is they had a developmental wrestler test positive for COVID-19, their first positive test after, uh, I mean, they've never stopped. You know, they've never stopped doing shows. So quite frankly, you know, while the national media headlines want to focus on that, I kind of applaud that. The fact that they've been in operation during a pandemic for three months now and have only had really this one scare um, I think that that's an excellent job. And look, I talked about this in, in a recent episode, man. Like, I talked about this when Mommy Joe's down the by closed and Jeremy's down the by closed and Galliana Food Store down the by closed. There was this rush to criticize the businesses. You know, man, they didn't do the things they were supposed to do. Um, I'm not going there anymore. That place is dirty. And it's ridiculous, man. Like, people catch coronavirus. People generally, by and large, work. So that means that there are going to be employers everywhere who are going to, you know, contract this virus. Your banker probably has had someone, you know, have COVID-19 at some point. You just don't know about it until they tell you. So I, I, I applaud the businesses that are coming forward and are being honest and transparent. And the fact that for WWE, it's only been one person in three months at a time where it's impossible to socially distance in the ring, man. Like you're wrestling and you're 
all over somebody on top of somebody you know it's impossible to socially distance so the fact that they've pulled this off and have only had one hiccup in three months i think it's very encouraging i mean think about your own office um have you guys ever gone three full months without anybody getting sick probably not right and, and if you have you probably work in a very very small office with a very very limited population base Whereas if you would expand that sample and, you know, you're talking like a, a 40, 50, 60 person workspace, everybody's going to have a few people get sick here and there, man. And that's the thing about COVID. We're never going to have, even after a vaccine, we're never going to have zero cases, man. Like that's never going to happen. We've just got to limit the spread and, and flatten the curve so that our hospital systems don't get overwhelmed. And We'll talk about that more in the back end of the show. I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent, but the big news is that they did have a developmental wrestler test positive for COVID-19. All reports are that they have had just minor symptoms and are expected to make a full recovery. Same thing in the NFL. Ezekiel Elliott among a couple of Cowboys who have tested positive. A couple of Texans have reported that they've tested positive as well. But one thing I want to talk about with wrestling is I talked about it on the Backlash show. And I'll talk about it again now. Like, man, it, it's been it's been a rough time for wrestling. It's been a rough year. Even before the pandemic, there wasn't a whole lot of good stuff going on, man. Like, the, the storylines were kind of bland. It was kind of just not fun to watch. I know a lot of my friends who we used to have group chats and stuff where we would watch the shows together and everything like that. They've all fallen out. Some of my other buddies have kind of become casual watchers, whereas they're used to be you know watching for the full three hours they just kind of pick and choose what they want to watch um i'm telling you now and if you guys trust me i think you're going to be pleasantly surprised i i admittedly don't watch a whole lot of smackdown except for you know repeats and different things that i catch on hulu i do watch raw religiously every monday pretty much from cover to cover the stuff that's going on on raw right now is, is very good it's as good as wwe has been in, in two plus years um this past Monday's episode was phenomenal. The Randy Orton versus Christian stuff is good. I've been hard on Randy Orton on this show and you know, kind of low-key hinting that I thought he was a little bit overrated. Um, and shout out to my buddy Jonah, uh, who, who talks a lot of wrestling with me you know, off the air in private. Um, one of the arguments that I made is that my biggest um, knock on Randy Orton was that I didn't know if he was a face or a heel. Um, because on one hand, you know, he does a lot of heel things. But on the other hand, the RKO is so over that it makes fans inclined to cheer for him. And I didn't like that he was kind of a tweener. I like him a whole lot more now that he's bona fide 100% out of the closet. He's a heel now. He's back to punting people in the head. He's back to, you know, cheating to win matches. And that's a Randy Orton that could draw some big money. And, and the, the storyline with Christian and Ric Flair delivering the low blow and everything of that sort that was entertaining stuff on monday man that was good stuff and if you have hulu or if you have uh you know the, the ability to go back and rewatch that i would strongly encourage you to do so it was the best raw episode in a long time in, in the last six months for sure um the lashley stuff with lana and drew mcintyre and continuing that chase for the championship with mvp looming in the background and then you even threw our truth in that who's you know one of the few comedy wrestlers who actually hits that was good stuff that was a great match and the fact that um they carried that storyline forward throughout the show in vignettes and backstage promos it drew my eyes to it it was very good 
There was good women's wrestling. Having Bailey and Sasha Banks on the show, that's always great. Uh, Asuka, good performer. It was, it was from top to bottom. That was a wonderful three-hour show. And the ratings for the show were as high as they've been in two months. So the fans have drawn a line in the sand and have basically told WWE, if you give us something worth watching, we're going to actually watch it. You know, it, the, the ratings aren't down because no fans in the stands. The, rating aren't, the ratings aren't down because of, you know, diluted uh, offerings on television or whatever it may be. The ratings are down because the product sucks. And the fact that the last couple of weeks the product hasn't sucked, the ratings are going to go back up. You give them something to watch, they're going to watch it. Just look at the number of people who subscribe to the WWE Network. It's a number in the millions. There are wrestling fans all over the world. I listen to Conrad Thompson and his you know, sequence of podcasts with Jim Ross and with Arn Anderson and with Tony Schiavone, Eric Bischoff, and Bruce Pritchard. Um, highly recommend all of them. I would subscribe to every one of them if I were you guys. Um, but if you look at the numbers that they're producing... They're generating millions of views for their podcasts or millions of, of, of you know downloads every single week. That means there are millions of wrestling fans in the United States and around the world who are listening to things about the past. What does that tell you? That tells you that the things that we're seeing currently are not as good as the things in the past. So if we could get back to that same level of storytelling, the numbers are going to go back up. And I thought that Monday was a great example of that. It was a good show and the ratings were higher than they've been in the last couple of months. One more sports piece of business that we've got to tackle before we catch our commercial break and go to the phone lines. Um, last week, we're going to do, I'm, I'm a big sports better, guys. Um, I'm just going to tell you right now, whenever leagues open back up, um, we're going to do a lot of after dark content where we're going to be giving you picks, giving you advice on games, giving you fantasy sports advice. That's just part of who I am. Like, I can't have a show that carries my first name in the title and not have that be part of the show. That's just a big part of who I am, what I enjoy about sports. Um, we did a little bit of flirtations with betting on PGA Tour stuff last week. Um, it didn't go so well. <laughs> my shark was Dustin Johnson. He missed the cut. That's terrible. My sleeper was Kevin Kistner. He finished tied for 29th which is okay, I guess, for a sleeper. My pick to win the championship was Tony Finau. He finished 23rd. Um, this week, we're going to try to one-up that, and we're going to try to do a little bit better after a, an embarrassing performance last week. So here goes my picks for the RBC Heritage this weekend. Uh, that tournament, as we said, is in Hilton Head, South Carolina. 7,000, pretty much 7,100 yards, the course. Par 71. Loaded field, C.T. Pan is the defending champion. So my shark for this week, shark of course is going to be defined as a player who is high rated, a top tier brand name player who I think is going to perform well and be in contention. Bryson DeChambeau is my shark this week. I liked everything that I saw from Bryson DeChambeau last week. He is big and strong as an ox. He's hitting the ball well. Very poised. I thought he had a chance on Sunday to win that tournament last week. Came up just short. Bryson DeChambeau is my shark. Bryson DeChambeau is currently 14 to 1 odds to win the tournament. Bryson DeChambeau is, let's see, 3.5 to 1 odds to finish in the top five. I like both of those bets. I think that Bryson is going to finish in the top five. I think he's going to be in contention. I think he's going to have a great chance to win the event. My sleeper for this week is going to be 
Jason Day. And I know it's difficult to say that Jason Day is a sleeper, because at one time he was the number one player in the world. But he's fallen off quite a bit. Hasn't been the same player since then. Uh, but I just got a feeling that on this golf course, Jason Day is going to put together a strong performance. He's 66 to 1, guys. I can't think of any golf tournament in the world that Jason Day should be 66 to 1 to win. He's too good. He's too talented. I think he's going to put together a strong showing. So my sleeper for this week is Jason Day. And if you go and look at some of Jason Day's recent performances, um, I think that he's he's doing a pretty good one. I'm going to pull up the exact numbers here while we're while we're kind of talking. Jason Day missed the cut last week, but before the pandemic, he had a fourth place finish at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Uh, he was 16th at the Farmers Insurance Open, so he had a little bit of a, of a run there before the pandemic where he was playing better golf. So I'm going to go Jason Day as my sleeper. Now, my champion for this week, I am going to go with, let's see, I've got a couple of them. I'm trying to figure it down, narrow down. I'm going to pick John Rahm to win this week at the RBC Heritage John Rahm is long. John Rahm is accurate. He is uh, intense, and uh, he struggled a little bit last week, but I think John Rahm is going to step into the winner's circle and get a victory. If you look at John Rahm's last couple of starts, um, again, he missed the cut last week, but before the pandemic, boy, he was flirting every single week. He finished third at the RGC Mexico, finished second at the Farmers Insurance Open, finished ninth at the Phoenix Open. He's due. He's going to find a way to get into the winner's circle, and I think it's going to be this week. So give me John Rahm, six events, five cuts, four top tens. So he finishes in the top ten 66% of the time this season. He's going to find a way to continue to get in, in contention, and he's going to find a way to win this week. He is currently 16-1 to 1 to win the event. Um, again, the way I like to explain this is if, if you play the tournament 16 times, will John Rahm win it once? I think he will. Um, so give me that pick there so i'm going again just to reiterate i'm going uh as my shark give me um bryson dechambeau as my sleeper give me jason day and as my pick to win the championship give me john rom these are the rbc heritage this is going to be uh a a very exciting very entertaining golf tournament there are big names up and down. Gary Woodland, Rory McIlroy, Bryson DeChambeau, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, Xander Schauffele, Webb Simpson, Patrick Reed, Hideki Matsuyama, Justin Rose, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Jordan Spieth. And I could go on and on. The best players in the sport, minus Tiger Woods, I guess really you could say, are all playing here and are all likely to crowd that leaderboard and are all likely to be in contention. I'm excited to see it. I think it's going to be an exciting show, an entertaining show, and uh, it's going to be something that's, that's uh, going to be highly entertaining and worth watching. So let's go ahead and catch a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to go to the phone lines where we have Ernest Harvey, Camp Mula. Ernest is doing wonderful things to change the culture of local athletics in our area, uh, offering high-level training mentoring everything that he can to get college scholarships for people and if you're not a college level athlete that's okay too Ernest could just make you a better athlete for your high school team he's next here on Casey's Corner we'll catch a quick break on LaFougeGazette.com stay with us hey guys I know it's a commercial break but it's me again but I want to tell you guys a big secret I know how you guys could get the news in LaFouge Parish the hottest news all the things that all your friends and all your family members are talking about first before everyone else. How? By getting the Lafouge Gazette app. 
Go to your app store, get the LaFouche Gazette app today. You'll get push notifications right to your phone anytime anything breaks, anytime anything exciting happens, anytime there's anything going on in LaFouche Parish that people are talking about. We're going to be talking about it, and we're going to send it right to your phone. So go to the LaFouche Gazette app, find it on your app store today, download it 100% free, 100% news, 100% local, 100% all the time. Download the LaFouche Gazette app today. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Joining us now, local trainer, Ernest Harvey with Camp Moolah. Ernest, how are you, my friend? I'm good, I'm good. with that? How you doing, man? Good, man, good. Uh, everything's going well on this end, man. We wanted to tell your story a little bit because I know you guys are doing such great things for so many people. Uh, local athletic trainer, yeah. got a facility uh, out in northern Lafouche. Tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah. How'd you get started? How'd this become a passion for you? Uh, well, basically, um, just coming from where I come from, actually, you know, um, not having too many lanes to hit as far as the kids that don't have opportunities that other kids have. Um, you know, some people just need the extra push. Um, I actually started out, I was laid off from the off field. I had been working at um, Weatherford for about four or five years, um, but I was training on the side, like sometimes small stuff, not really serious about it, but um, got laid off. So I had a lot of time on my hand. So I look myself in the mirror, you know, talk to God about what he what, what he has for me, what what it is he wants me to do. And I mean, I just started pushing training hard. I pushed in training and started doing it every day and then it just took flight. Very good. And um I, I know from talking to a couple of people uh on the internet and stuff, they said that, that you were a pretty good athlete in your own right. So tell us about some of the sports that you played and everything back in your day. Yeah, well, um I actually started off as a uh, good basketball player as a young kid. Uh, never played football until I got to high school, and I ended up uh, all state receiver in high school as far as football. I was a real good receiver in high school. I just didn't have basically the guy that I am today for the community, somebody that helped me through, somebody that helped me through the process, somebody to prepare me for, you know, getting ready to go to college or just doing stuff as far as talking to coaches. I didn't have that guy, that that family support as far as you know pushing me as far as teaching me to prepare for the world and how to be ready to go to college. So I missed out on that. But I was a very good athlete as far as football, played basketball too. We only lost five basketball games my senior year and I was a big part of the team. So I was real good in basketball. Like I said, I played that my whole life. Very good. And look, I know that, you know, there's been such immense growth and you know, even going back and seeing some of your older videos compared to now, you know, before you guys yeah. would just kind of find some grass and everything and do what you got to do. Now you got yeah. a facility. Talk us through that growth that you've seen here in the last year or so. Yeah, well, first thing, it's not actually my facility. Um, I work under the Natural Sports Complex. Awesome. Um, it's this great guy that runs his name, Josh Colston. Gave me a great opportunity to train my guys there and also work with all the baseball teams there. Um, so I actually have free access to the gym to do whatever it is I need to do with my guys. But it's not actually mine, but it is the natural sports complex. We do some great work there. But um I started off as far as I was living in an apartment complex and it had like 
a little land on side of it. It was basically like 15 by 15 yards, maybe, or maybe even 20 by 20, whatever it was. It was kind of small. Um, I had my kids all day. I was stayed off, so I wasn't really doing too much. So I was doing training in that little spot. And sometimes when I can get away from home with my kids, I would go to the park. So, and this was every day. Uh, we would be in that corner or we was at the park every day. And um, after that, we started just staying at the park, staying at the park, and eventually... I started wanting to train my guys as far as like on the turf because I realized everything was transitioning into turf. So I started using another park in Thibodeau. Um, my athletes started getting big offers from me being in the parks or me being on side of a school or me being like in that 15 by 15 like I told you. We, we was using the old school methods of outside work and still like doing stuff that some of the big time athletes was doing all around the world as far as the accolades, you know, like big time seven on 17. We had guys that were doing that and we was training in the parks. But the opportunity came for me to uh, train with at the National Sports Complex. Me and Josh got together. We sat down. He's a great guy. He realized my vision, my passion for what I want to do. And it's been, it's been great. And actually, after I got into the complex, I think that's when people started taking what I was doing a little more serious, you know. It's kind of fun, like, you know, seeing it at the parks and you can get the work I think people take you more serious once they see like that transition and they see you growing. So we got into the, the building and that's what that was big for us. And then we just started getting guys from New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and all over. So we're going to talk about some of the big time recruits and stuff here in a minute. But, but one of the questions I wanted to ask you first is if you got just, you know, a run of the mill kid who maybe isn't the best athlete, but who is loves to play and loves to, you know, the game and loves to compete and then they go find you, and then they start to get better. How good of a feeling is that for you, knowing that, hey, man, you were a part of this kid's, you know, love for a sport being blossomed? It's, it's the best feeling in the world. And it's not just um, for teaching them the love of the sport. It's about whenever you get with them and they leave you, they're just a better person at life, you know? You want to teach them family morals. You want to teach them how to carry themselves as a young man. That's what it's about. And once you see everything come together as the athlete and you see them buying into what you're trying to teach them as a young man, I mean, it's a great feeling. It makes you want to do it a thousand times more after you get that one kid that you see that you've changed his life. It makes you definitely want to change another life and more after that. I know that the kids have to be hungry to succeed, but I feel like you have to be hungry as well to stay in tune with what's the latest things that are happening and what are the latest, you know, training techniques and how much, you know, schooling and learning do you have to do to make sure that you're top of the line? I most definitely uh, stay in tune with the best guys that are training all around the world. Um, that's basically why I look to mentor me. I'm not shy into messaging guys and asking for guidance. I will post a, a post and actually ask some of the trainers that follow me, like, hey, teach me something about this or teach me something about that. But, um... It's about just learning stuff and basically having your own way of teaching things. You know, everybody learns stuff differently and everybody teaches stuff differently and every kid can learn something in different ways. Doesn't matter how you teach it. So it's just about trying to relate to the kids so you can give them what you're trying to give them in the best possible way you can give it to them for them to understand because every kid is different and they come from all kinds of different situations. So you got to be able to, you know, relate to all kinds of kids or as that nature. 20, 25 years ago, um, this was an area that was only being recruited if it was a superstar prospect and there were so many kids that slipped through the cracks. Um, Now, that 
momentum is kind of sort of changing a little bit. Can you just talk about sort of that transition and now more kids are being blessed with the opportunities to play post high school? Yeah, and I think um, I think the college recruiters starting to realize that this is a you know untapped market. Not too many f- people fishing athletes from our area as far as the Bayou region, and we always had good athletes. You know, it's just that we didn't have a good push in the area. If that makes sense, we never had training. All the good athletes that we had, it was just natural raw. We just started getting trainers in the area, so we just started working on our craft as far as in the off season. So everything we was doing in the season was just basically natural stuff. So um, after we started like polishing up like that, we started seeing what everybody was doing as far as like traveling. But like let's just say basketball, people traveling with AAU basketball with the best teams. We want to do that now. People traveling with seven on seven. We want to do that now. We want to get our kids into the situations that the best kids in the nation are doing because we can show them. We got some kids out here that can play. And we all, all, all we're really trying to do is get all our kids college scholarships. We're trying to get degrees free. We're not promising professional careers or anything. We're trying to be the best kid we can be, the best person we can be, the best athlete the kid can be. We're trying to teach them to be the best person they can be. So they can get a scholarship. They can be that guy on the field that they need to be, you know? Oh, that's incredible, man. And, and, in terms of, uh, I know one big tool that you've used so heavily, you, you've used your social media to help yourself a ton. I know that's how I saw some of your videos. Talk about the way you've used that as a tool to market yourself and market your brand. Without social media, nobody would know what I was doing. Nobody would know what we were doing without social media. Um, that's why you see me on social media so much. That's why I post so many videos. Because I come from, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Let's start posting social media. My following came from social media. You know, like everybody started realizing what I was doing with social media. I learned and I, I, I met some great people through social media. It all came through training, but it, it was all pushed through me from social media. So, I mean, I feel like if you use social media the right way, there's no way um, nobody would uh, not see what you're doing. One thing that I want to give you credit for is you also take it you know to heart as making sure that these young men represent themselves well on social media as well i remember seeing a couple of times you know young men were you know maybe going a little too far on the line and you're you know posting commenting below their they're posting hey stay humble young man you want to make sure that these people are using social media as a tool but also not as a weapon that can be used against them as well most definitely because you see in so many cases where they got a tweet from so far ago that they didn't brought up when the kid is getting to the last point of maybe stepping into the professional career or maybe even stepping into the division one level of football. That's big time. So you want everybody, everybody's clock, you want everybody's eyes in that situation. So one mistake as far as on social media can, can blow up like crazy. Just think about what happened with the uh, DB from Raiders that just got drafted on that. He yeah. joked about the SpongeBob thing with the, and he took some heat for that. So you just got to be mindful of what you're talking about. I think you should just really use social media to connect with friends that may not live around you, you know, to connect with athletes that don't live around you. You need to see the best guys doing what they're doing, you know, for you to compare yourself to them and if they don't live around you. See, if the number one guy at your position lives way in California and you live in Louisiana, you're not going to be able to see him in person too much. But I'm pretty sure he's active on social media, you're going to these camps and you're going to be able to see what he's doing and you can compare yourself as far as mental to that. So that's, that's, that's big for kids too. And then again, kids learning and seeing these invitations from social media as far as like 
kids getting invited to seven-on-seven tryouts, or getting invited to be on teams, or getting invited to these huge camps. And these people are basically using social media too. So basically, what you want to have is your social in your social media. What, 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 what we would tell you, I would tell you, hey, put your name, your size, your GPA, you know, put your credentials, and, and put your classification. You can put with a little bit about yourself, what you believe in, but that's it about that in your profile. Make it easy for them to find you. Put your real name up there. That's basically some things that we teach our guys. I teach my guys as far as you know social media and, and, and it's, it's a must that should be respectful of social media beautiful it's a must you know and you don't speak about certain things on social media as well you gotta watch you know that type of stuff i agree 100 percent. And, and and look we're gonna have a lot of people who are you know parents that are going to be listening to this if they want to get their child involved do you have like age groups or certain sports tell us about you know kind of a rundown of your menu so to speak well, basically, it's um, speed and agility. Um, I, I do different age groups, uh, depending on if the family wants football or not. Football is my main thing, of course, but, you know, I got soccer teams that I train. Like I said, I train at the Naturals. I train all the baseball teams there as far as speed and agility. I got some volleyball girls. Um, so it's broken down into groups by age, youth groups. But uh, we mix them. You know, it's boys and girls sometimes. It's not just girls. It's just depending on how the schedule is open and what is what is going on with everything else. But we definitely um, involve every age group as far as every sport. Everybody needs to be able to move, move the right way. Everybody needs to be able to explode off the right foot when they're ready to explode as far as any sport. So we're just teaching that, you know, teaching the right things to do as far as movement. And, and one thing that I want to emphasize, I'm actually touching this as well. Like, I know you work with a lot of the big names, but your kid doesn't have to be a five-star recruit to go find you, right? Not at all. Um, I got kids that uh, come to me and say, hey, coach, I know I might go play for college football, yeah. but I just want to be the best high school guy I can be. Um, so it's just about that. Best believe we have a lot of guys that don't sign scholarships, that work hard like he's a Division One football player, or even in the same setting as a Division One football player sometimes. <laughs> But just knowing that, hey, I'm not that athlete, I'm not that guy, but I play high school ball, so I definitely want to be the best I can be for my team. And we definitely accept any guys. We don't um, hold nobody. If you we, you could be the saddest guy in America and say you want to come get trained, you might end up in a session with a Division One guy one day. And just moving, seeing that, you know, it's motivating too, though. So, you know, no doubt it doesn't really it. matter what type of guy you are to get the train. No doubt. We have a, a commitment from Mason Smith to come on the show in a, in a couple of weeks. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you, man, and I know Mason pretty good. I've seen him play a couple of times. I've spoken to him several times. Very humble, very grounded. And for, for the average fan who's listening that hasn't had a chance to see him play or hasn't had a chance to interact with him, what sets him apart? What makes him that five-star prospect instead of just being that two- or three-star prospect? The size of the speed, man. You don't, you, you don't see too many guys that big, that can move as fast as he can move, at the quality of how he's moving, if that makes sense. He's not losing nothing when he's moving left and right as far as the power. He's exploding off the best foot he can explode off to get to where he want to be. He has great footwork. He moves like a receiver as far as his footwork. That's what sets him apart. He has power, and he's an exceptional footwork stepper as far as on the football field. He can step. His one twos and one two threes will not be wrong, and it doesn't matter what situation he's in. I agree with that. <laughs> and, and let me ask you this: um, Do you feel like it, it's almost 
like contagious because like you know you, we, you go back about 10 years and you see you know Trevon Reed was kind of one of the first ones and then that you know now Amik comes and there are so many guys in the area in the Bayou River region and it feels like now once we've seen a couple of guys do it more kids are being inspired and saying hey you know what I come from the same neighborhood as that guy I could do it too and and you know there's there's a greater structure in place now with you and some others in the area that are doing this training and everything do you feel like it's almost become contagious Yes, most definitely. It's, it's definitely contagious. I mean, you got to understand, kids looking at what's going on, and they're saying, why not me? And they're asking themselves, what did this kid do to get to the level he's on or to, to get what he's got? So um, the kids are trying to find out exact, the exact blueprint of these guys that made it that you named. They want to do everything that they did as far as the classroom now. They want to do the same thing they did in the weight room. And they definitely, definitely, definitely want to do speed and agility and field work now because they see that that's a major key as far as, you know, the football field. And again, people wasn't doing seven-on-seven like that in our area. We wasn't going to camps like that in our area. We was blind to everything that was going on, you know. So what happened was people caught wind to everything. We opened our eyes. Things got a little bigger for us, and we started seeing that we needed to be doing this with our athletes. And 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 I will always commend my good friend, my one of my guys, my brother Jeremiah Gray, because me and him been on this ride for a long time together. Actually, we started together, and we always spoke into existence what's going to happen for the area, and it's happening. You know, because he's the media guy, and he knew about all the camps that was going on. So he would tell the guys in the area, "Hey, this is going on. That's going on." Pay attention to my page. I'm going to post this. I'm going to post that. I'm going to let y'all know. So kids started going to those camps, and kids started tearing those camps up. So after you get one kid to tear a camp up, then two, three, and once you get to, like, seven kids from this area that they hit this camp and, and started tearing stuff up, I mean, there's something going on in this area that these people don't know about. So eventually in these next few years, we're hoping and we're praying that things just continue to grow, things continue to get better for us, and not only us, for the area athlete, because that's what we're here for. I mean, that's what we built our companies for, to try to give them what they don't have. If, if there's, you know, a, a 10th grader who's listening to this and wondering, man, maybe I should go get involved, what advice would you give them to try to push them to, to you know, keep moving forward? My advice would, wherever you are, um, first things first, keep the faith in, in whatever you're doing. And secondly, get around some people that believe in you just like you believe in yourself and do what you need to do to be your better self. You know, um, there's great trainers all over. I'm not going to just hype myself up, but there's great trainers all over. And I think they believe in the same things I believe in as far as teaching young men how to be young men. And we only use the football as a tool. So I would tell you, get around some people that believe in you that's not going to put you in no bad situations because your clock start ticking. I would tell you this in eighth grade because your clocks will tick as your freshman. So I'm trying to instill this now. We're teaching this into sixth and seventh graders. You know, we're trying to start it then because when they get in high school, it's not a problem. So I would tell that sixth and seventh grader, hey, you need to watch who you hang around and you need to get with somebody and get with some people that care about you and that really believe in your future because the people that don't believe in your future, they're just going to suggest you to do stupid stuff. They will have you in the streets doing crazy stuff, have you out late at night sneaking out. That's the guys that you don't build on. 
You need to eliminate them now and let them know that you're serious about what you want to do in the future. And if you're not on board with that, I have to eliminate you or at least take a few steps back because what 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 I'm trying to do is, is larger than life. And that's, that's powerful stuff. Well, look, man, uh, I think that you just summed it up right there. We're going to thank you so much for the time, Ernest Harvey. Uh, we're going to do this again soon, okay, brother? All right, most definitely. I appreciate y'all, Casey, man. Y'all, must, y'all be safe out there, man. Absolutely, my friend. Take care. Good stuff, good stuff. That was Ernest Harvey with Camp Moolah. Let's go ahead and catch a quick commercial break. We're going to have more good stuff, good stuff after this break. It's going to be Josh Full of Amateur Golfer, talking about some of the things he did at the Louisiana Amateur Championships last weekend. It's all on Casey's Corner here on LaFoucheGazette.com. This commercial break will allow me to do something that is very special to me. This weekend is Father's Day, and I want to send a very special Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I know that our listener base is predominantly male as we talk about a lot of sports. So we've got a lot of dads. We've got a lot of future dads. We've got a lot of people who are currently expecting, um, who are about to be dads. So from my family to yours, I wish you all a very happy Father's Day. Thanks to everything, or thanks for everything that you guys do. And um, keep being positive role models for those little ones. You guys are single-handedly helping make the community a better place. So happy Father's Day to all the dads out there and keep listening to the Casey's Corner Podcast. Make some noise! Xbox! Think you can tell us what to do? Yeah. Think you can tell us what to win? <laughs> Think you better? Yeah. Well, you better get ready to bow to the master. Is the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Join us now on the phone lines. We have local amateur golfer Josh Fullup. Josh, how are you, man? Good. What's up, Casey? And guys? Yeah, we're doing good, buddy. It's uh, fresh off of an eighth-place finish at the Louisiana Amateur Championships. You were the perfect guest to have on this week. Um, buddy, tell us about the way you played, man, because you went over there, and for, for four rounds, you put together a really strong performance. Yes, sir. Um, I played really well. The course really fits my style kind of wide open. Kind of like my home course on the tour, you know. Since my playing style, kind of just get the tee box, hit the ball. Um, course was in excellent shape, man. Uh, it was really fun to play. Very good. And, and did you know coming into the event, hey, I was playing pretty good, had a good feeling, or were you just kind of winging it out there? Did you have a good feeling going into the event? I mean, now uh, I'm really just a weekend golfer now uh, since um done my college career and working now. Um, I have a good feeling coming off of the last couple of weeks. I've been playing good on the tour. Um, been playing with my friends who really just as competitive as me, and we all been keeping up. So I felt really good about this week going into it. Very good. And, and um, tell us a little bit about some of your backstory, man. You've been a good golfer for a long time. You, you know, you're a very good, successful golfer at South Lafourche, and you go on to Nichols. Tell us a little bit about, you know, when you started. When was the, the first time you could remember picking up the club, so to speak? Man, uh, I really remember picking up the club first in Thailand, back when I was a little boy, probably like five years old, with my great-grandpa, who was a great golfer. Um, I used to go play a lot with my other grandpa, Eddie Blanchard Jr., Eddie Blanchard, who, uh, Played baseball at LSU. Safe to say, um, he stopped beating me when I was about seven years old because I started beating him. <laughs> but uh, 
going on to my high school career, you know, my game really changed. I was 14, 150 pounds. You know, I hit the ball nowhere. Kind of had to rely on my short game a lot. And when I got to college, I really grew in distance a lot. And uh, it just helped my game a lot. Um, I feel like I'm playing the best golf I ever did in my life, to be honest was talking to Coach Schilling on Saturday morning for the radio show that I host, and he he said, look, I'm so proud of Josh because he touched on some of the things that, that you just talked about. He said, look, he got to us, and he was not all the way polished yet. He hadn't fully blossomed, and, and the words he described was he just kept chipping away and chipping away and chipping away and became a better and better and better player. Um, talk about, you know, all that hard work. was That doesn't happen overnight. No, it definitely don't happen overnight. Um, it took a lot, like, uh I got the issue in my freshman year. I, I really needed that. And we had a lot of players on our team. So when I got there, you know, I needed that. Coming from high school, I was in the draw just to try to keep up in distance-wise, which is really inconsistent. So I started hitting the cut, grew some distance, honestly, in the weight room. It may not look like a workout, but it definitely <laughs> helped in the book. <laughs> A lot further, you know, getting that more consistent ball fight to where I wanted. And uh, me and Coach Allen just worked every day, you know. Very good. Um, and, and it's a lot of college golf. You know, you practice in every day to keep up with school. But it was fun, man. That uh, helped my cream grow a bunch. That's awesome. And this past weekend, um, talk to us about the difference between you know, playing formal tournament golf as opposed to just playing with your buddies, you know, on the side. And uh, were you walking the course? Were you on a card? I guess give us a rundown of exactly what that was like. Oh, no. Uh, I'm 25, about to be 26. Um, my walking days are over unless we have to walk, but we got to keep an ice chest in the card. It was hot. Uh, I'm sure. With the coronavirus stuff, it wasn't serving any drinks or anything. So keeping the ice chest in the car helped. Um, it's definitely different playing tournament golf than with your friends. You know, you go out with your friends, you have fun. Oh, you hit a ball in the water, you, know, you just drop one, you know. Kind of like that, it's real life. Tournament golf, I really enjoy more. More competitive, but at the same time, it's really fun, you know. I play in partners, but also we joke around a lot. You know, it's just really the same thing. I was fortunate enough to... I remember first playing this event. I was the youngest kid playing this, 15, 16, 16 years old. Notice Dara's older than me. Come to the first and second round of this year, I'm the oldest one in the group. I'm like, man, where's time going, you know? <laughs> uh, then come to the third round, was all about my age. And then the fourth round, uh, I didn't even know I played with a Louisiana legend in Paul Brennan. I didn't know who he was at first. You know, but kept that competitive feel, but still joking on the side. Uh, I'd much rather turn the golf, though. Sure. And take us through, um, you know, I'm sure when you're getting into Saturday and you're performing well and you're a couple of shots, you know, under par and you're rising up the leaderboard and even into Sunday, I know you'd gotten up to, you know, a couple of strokes under par in that round and you're eyeing the, you know, the, were you aware of where the, the lead was? And then just talk about the competitive juices and stuff. I'm sure that you were, you know, pretty amped up. Yeah, um, this year, normally in these tournaments, you don't 
don't know exactly where the lead at, but we couldn't. We did electronic scoring because of the COVID stuff. Um, so after every hole, we put in our score through a phone and would update um, very recently. So you know exactly where the leaders were. So we knew where everybody was. And uh, what was the second part of your question? Just in terms of, okay, you know, you're a couple of shots back and it's Sunday and, you know, just talk about, you know, the, the juice is flowing, man. I'm sure that it, it was, uh, it's good to get that little rush of adrenaline again. You know, uh, I really experienced that the first time post-college last year in the mid where I kind of folded a lot there, so it really helped me this time around. Uh, it was fun, definitely. All the guys in my group was competitive. We all really feeding off of each other, so... I find that helps a lot. Very good. And um, so do, do you, I know you said you play a lot on the weekends. Do, do you watch much of the current game? I know I know you're a big Tiger guy like me, so I'm kind of asking a loaded question. Do you watch much tournament golf these days? Uh, yes, sir. Um, definitely. Um, if Tiger's in contention, I'll make sure if I play on Sunday, it's early in the morning to watch Tiger in the afternoon. You know, there's nothing like watching Tiger Woods. So, My generation pretty much grew up on the guy. I mean, what he, yeah, he he's unreal, man. But, but the, the the next question I was going to ask is, can you imagine then um, watching a big time major championship event when he is in contention and there not being any fans? Like, I feel like to me that's going to be awkward as hell. Yeah, um, I don't know if you watched the Colonial this weekend. Yeah, um, I forgot what guy actually made a hole in one, and he didn't know <laughs> he didn't make a he made a hole in one because there's no fans for that. It's just a weird feel, but it's kind of then going back to amateur golf where not really many people's watching. I don't know if they necessarily like it, but it seems pretty cool, you know? Uh, it's I, definitely weird to watch from TV, though. I hear you. So one of the things that, that you and I talk about, you know, on social media and everything is I always joke with you about how I'm trying to learn how to play. I'm not any good. I just actually got done playing for about 90 minutes, you know, just a couple minutes ago. It was not the greatest session. What are some of the tips you would give for the guy like me who is a one million handicap who's not the best golfer in the world? What tips would you give them? Because I know that one big passion that you have is you want everyone that wants to play to have the opportunity to play and to be able to, you know, have that love for the sport like you have. What would be some tips you would give to the rookie and beginning golfer? You know, uh, now... With YouTube nowadays, you can pretty much accomplish anything. Um, I just say, you know, go out, you swing your swing. Because not every swing is similar at all. You know, look at the PGA Tour. You got Jim Fury. You got Hideki Matsuyama. Two totally different swings. Then you got Tiger Woods. All completely different. Hideki pauses. Jim Fury does some kind of thing. I can't even explain. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> um, you just gotta find out what works, and you know, you, it's kind of an honor system. If you hit the ball good and it's solid, you know which swing you did, and try to repeat that. Especially with phone cameras nowadays, you can set up any little caption, record your swing, and whenever you find that sweet spot, I'll just see you trying to repeat it. So, one of the big things that I'm dealing with right now, and you could tell me if this is correct or not correct. I use some equipment that is ancient. My clubs are old. My clubs are from, you know, the 80s. How much difference does it make having really, really old equipment to modern equipment? Will that make it much easier whenever I finally do buy a new set? I'm 
I'm 100% a big equipment guy. I don't get a percent every year because it's really expensive. But look at where Tiger Woods is driving distance from whenever he started to now. It's an unreal difference how much further they get it. Um, they carried the ball over 300 yards. Easy. Back in the day, John Dillon used to hit a four, and he was maybe getting a death four, you know? It's crazy. You become a lot more consistent with newer clubs. It's just newer technology. But uh, I recently, two years ago, I switched from, I don't want to sound like I'm promoting anything, but I was always a title star. Here's my title star for doing I switched to tell me and just that little switch. And a new shot, at least 25 yards on the driver. It's crazy. Very good. And, and so take us back to this past weekend. Um, if if you were to have won the amateur championship, does that come with any type of like? Do you get like an exemption to to play in any other events? What what the what did the champion actually earn besides the title of being the champion? Oh, uh, I don't think they really earn anything. Uh, earn anything? Um, I know that tournaments now in the Louisiana Golf Association get put into World Golf Amateur Amateur ranking, so there's that. But okay, I don't think that this tournament meant anything. It was just, I didn't mean to say it meant anything. Yeah, I know what it you're saying. It was just about the tournament. You come out first, you the top dog in Louisiana, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I didn't know if, you know, you had gotten like a sponsor's exemption into the Zurich or something like that by by by, qualif- by winning the event. That's, that's what I was getting at. No, that would be awesome, though, huh? <laughs> no doubt about it. So, um, what was the what was the best shot that you hit this past week? Was there any one that stood out more than the others? Uh, I'd probably say in my third round, I kind of the round I actually did the best. I was already one under after two holes, and honestly, I've never I did not get a single good shot yet. Yeah, um, just made a good putt. Uh, got the three, you know, five draw kind of laid up, and I hit a wedge shot to about two feet, and that's whenever I kind of got, you know, I'm here, let's go, let's make some burgers. Really turned around all around. That's awesome, man. And I'm going to ask you to explain this because you've hit so many more of these good shots than I ever did. But the one thing that I tell people all the time is they'll ask me, they say, what is it that you like so much about the sport? And the answer that I always give them is because whenever you hit that good one, you know it right away, and it just is such a great feeling. So talk about that. You said you're in your mid-20s now. You've hit probably thousands of those. Just talk about how awesome it feels whenever you hit it on the sweet spot, hit it flush, and you just know before even looking up to see the ball, you just know I got that one. It was a great shot. Yeah, man. Yeah, It's feeling like nothing else, you know. Um, kind of like Tiger, you get a perfect drive, you don't even have to see where it's going. You feel it, you know, if you had a good swing on it, you know it's down the middle of the fairway, don't even look, pick up the tee, next shot, you know. It's something, you know, if you really can't duplicate any, in any other sport, I feel. Yeah, I agree with you, buddy. Now, uh, if you were, you know, speaking to a younger golfer who's middle school or, you know, early high school who's trying to 
improve their game, trying to continue to get better, to perhaps be the young Joshua Love at Nickel State University someday, what would you tell them? What advice would you give them to keep pushing and keep trying to enhance their game? You know, man, uh, just keep playing. Uh, no matter who you play with, if you play with somebody daily who's worse than you or better than you, you it's always a learning experience with those. Uh, if he's better, perfect. You can learn something from him. You keep going. If he's worse, you can learn something from him too. It's not always about score every round. It's all about going out and have fun and every round to learn learning experience. Um, you're not always going to hit it in the fairway, you know, so that time you hit it in the rough, practice it. Don't cheat yourself by saying, oh, I would never hit it here, throw it out the bunker, you know, and then hit it a shot from the fairway. No, you got to put yourself in those situations so whenever the tournament comes around, you know how to prepare very good. And, and another thing, um, I was always so hard on myself as I would go play the park and, you know, the grass is long and thick there. And I'm not realizing, and I, I even, you know, I always made this joke, every single shot that I'd ever hit in my, you know, quote unquote career was from the rough because I hadn't been you know, to a real golf course yet. Talk about the difference between practicing in your yard as to actually being on that manicured grass at a golf course. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, uh, growing up. Uh, had a little putting green on side my yard, um, you know, inside my house in my yard. Terrible grass, outdoor carpet, you know, like he, that you put at a camper. It was bad, but you know, played right there. It's crazy now, looking back on it, I would never do that now. Um, once you want that manicured grass, a wind shot never feels the same through just regular yard grass. I don't know. It's crazy to me. I, I know you never experienced that, but I wouldn't practice in a yard for me, if that makes any sense. No, it, it makes complete sense because the times that I've been on a golf course, it's a completely different feeling, man. It feels it feels completely different. So next question, last question we got for you in terms of, you know, some, some things that you're going to be looking to do here in the next couple of months. Do you have any other events that you're looking to play or anything of that sort? Uh, yeah, uh, really... Now with the COVID stuff, they kind of, the USGA really, we can't do any more qualifiers. So I look forward to that every summer, but we can't do that. So my schedule's kind of thin this year. I got the Louisiana Mid-Am, which is the second year I'm able to play that because you got to be over 25. And that's a lot, you know, one of my favorite courses in Louisiana. I really love that course. That's where they um, play the Chinamacho Open. On the corn ferry, super nice. Um, I got a couple four balls to play with my friends. Other than that, you know, just local stuff. Very good. And, um, buddy, one, one thing that, um, and I, I told you just a minute ago would be the last question. I got one more for you is one thing with, with golf having so many events being postponed and canceled, the schedule for the next golf season has seven major championships in it. And I was sitting back and looking at that schedule and thinking, my God, it's going to be an awesome year. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Will our guy in the red shirt win one of those seven major championships here in the next 12 months? Uh, you know, Casey, my coach would always say in college that Tiger Woods was done. You know, for the time, I think we all thought he was done. Uh, but a little bit in the hearts, we thought he could win one. Mm-hmm. But last year, the winning ones at the Masters. 
I think he could do it again. I think he either can win one of the Masters, where he's got two really in this next year at Augusta. Awesome course. And I think he can really win a British Open. I sure but, as heck hope that that's the case. I'd be happier than heck. And, and what did you think of the match? What did you think of him and, and Peyton Manning and, and Phil and Brady? And I, I thought that, you know, selfishly watching him, I thought he was smooth as silk. He was hitting the ball in the fairway, hitting it straight as an arrow. I know that that was his home course. But what did you think of the competition there and then kind of the back and forth with the, the pros and the celebrities? Oh, man. Tiger looked really good in that. He did not miss a fairway. You know, it seemed that we don't get to see every day. And you have two of the best quarterbacks ever, you know, really making fun, not in their element. And they're teasing each other, trying to hit a golf ball, you know. It was really cool to watch. Commentary and all was awesome with Justin Thomas there. Charles Barkley, too. It was fun. I, I liked it a lot. I agree 100%. Well, brother, thanks so much for the time, and kudos on a great weekend, my friend. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. Yes, sir. That was Josh full of love, and let me tell you something. That guy could play. He is a very, very, very accomplished golfer, and he does some very difficult things when he's out on the course. Let's catch a break when we get back. COVID update. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Hey, guys. I know it's a commercial break, but it's me again. But I want to tell you guys a big secret. I know how you guys could get the news in LaFouche Parish, the hottest news, all the things that all your friends and all your family members are talking about first before everyone else. How? By getting the LaFouche Gazette app. Go to your app store, get the LaFouche Gazette app today. You'll get push notifications right to your phone anytime anything breaks, anytime anything exciting happens, anytime there's anything going on in LaFouche Parish that people are talking about, we're going to be talking about it and we're going to send it right to your phone. So go to the LaFouche Gazette app, find it on your app store today, Download it 100% free, 100% news, 100% local, 100% all the time. Download the LaFouche Gazette app today. Thank Josh Pulala for his insight into what it takes to be a solid golfer in the last segment. I thank Ernest Harvey, a segment before that, for giving us just some wonderful information about the things he's doing to make a difference in the local athletic scene. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. I've got a big announcement for you guys. In an upcoming show in the very near future, we have lined up a commitment from five-star prospect, one of the best players in the entire country, the number one high school football player in the state of Louisiana, Mason Smith, has agreed. Terrebonne High School senior, he's agreed to come on our show and talk about all the wonderful things that he's doing. I thank Mason so very much. We're going to have him on here in the next couple of weeks, next couple of episodes. We're going to have him lined up, and I cannot wait to talk to Mason, who, if anybody who has not ever spoken to Mason, um, when you got these four and five star athletes, a lot of times one of their largest attributes is their head. <laughs> Mason is not one of those kids. Mason is very humble. Mason is very grounded. He is very interested and focused in doing the right things for the right people. And he, no matter where he goes, hopefully, as selfishly I could say this, hopefully he ends up at LSU. Um, but no matter where he goes, 
he's going to make a difference on the field and off the field in the locker room as a leader because he's a good kid, very, very good kid, very bright, and uh, he's going to do great things. But, uh, again, thanks to our two calling guests. We move now to the COVID-slash-news part of the broadcast. Um, We're now reporting 48,634 COVID cases in the state of Louisiana. This is as of Wednesday. Um, Our death total is 2,950. Uh, the death total is continuing to slow down. Um, we are seeing a an increase in total cases, but the death rate has continued to slow down. Um, on the weekends in the past, it would hover in the 20 to 30 death range. In the middle of the week, it would be in the 60 to 70, if not higher range. Now, on the weekends, we see seven, eight people die per day. And on the midweek updates, we see, you know, 15 to 30 people or so. So death has slowed down. That's great to see, um, even as cases have gone up. In today's update, we added 928 cases, though the state said there was a backlog that included 129 cases. Um, First and foremost, before we get to the meat and potatoes of this, this whole backlogging thing, uh, which we now are seeing them report and talk about just about every single day, is absolutely positively ridiculous. Um... There's no reason that these labs should be able to send in data that is months and months old. Like it's, I'm not a doctor, man, and I don't run a lab. I don't know anything about science, man. Like anybody, shout out to to Tommy Becknell, my old science teacher, my old biology and physics teacher, still a good friend of mine. Um, he'll tell you I was I was not a good science student, man. But I do know that like accountability and and data relies on things being sent in on time and with so that we can make information or make informed decisions about today based on the data that we're being given you know a couple of days in the past and the fact that i never know when you know an update comes if the cases are new or old or sometimes we get four or five hundred old cases today 129 old cases it it's a mess man it's a complete mess and and they've in the future, I hope. Look, I hope we never have another pandemic for the rest of my life, man. Uh, this was the first one in 32, almost 33 years. I hope we don't ever have another one. Um, but if we ever do get in a situation where, if we have another one that's to this scale and to this level, we've got to learn something about how we reported these cases. How, you know, what were some of the shortcomings that we've had? What were some of the pitfalls that we fell into? Because, man, it's ridiculous. Uh, these these backlogs and these jams and like if you want to be a lab that's being paid to report official state data, you've got to report it in a timely fashion. This to have backlogs that are now almost three months old, like that's that's ridiculous. There should be some sort of way to not have that happen. That that's it, that just can't that can't be part of the way going forward. Um, as we've said, the cases in in Louisiana are increasing, and you guys know I've been you know a positive force i think that a lot of the things that have been reported are not very good um so i've been more of a positive you know uh force here and trying to unify people and try to get them to do the right things as opposed to being a negative nancy uh but man it's it's time for us to get back to the things that we were once doing to limit the spread of this virus and it's it's not as as basic as just saying well this all happened once we started to reopen because that's not true 
um, we had reopened successfully without issue. It's not as simple or basic as to blame it on protesting and saying, well, ever since the protest started, you know, this is when things started to spread. It's not as easy or simple as to blame it on any one factor. Get off of your ass and take responsibility for this as a citizen and resident of the state of Louisiana. The number of people in grocery stores without masking who are hugging people and high-fiving people that they may not otherwise know that are being defiant just for the sake of being defiant is deplorable. Um, The number of people who are making it a point to have huge gatherings that are completely unnecessary just for the sake of doing it and being defiant, that's deplorable. Um, I think that by and large, uh, for the overwhelming majority of the of the days of the pandemic most people have been cooperating but i think that that cooperation is dropping and i hear your arguments man i'm tired of this yeah i get it i'm tired of writing about it um but the easiest way to get rid of it is to keep pushing forward uh just think about how selfish of a point of view it is and I use the, the reference and the moniker of, of football to explain this. We have taken a 10-point lead over this thing in the third quarter. And we have taken our starters out. And we have gotten completely laxed and completely lazy and have completely abandoned the things that we were once doing to get that 10-point lead. Well, naturally now, you know, that 10-point lead is a 7-point lead. They've just kicked the field goal and they've gotten a little closer. So are we going to continue to be tired and you know, stir crazy and all of the different half-ass arguments that I see on Facebook to give up? Or are we going to continue and push through and fight all the way through the finish line and get rid of this thing for good? Because if we were to just suck in our guts for another two or three months, man, we'd be in such a great place that we'd be able to do all of the things that we wanted to do without any worries. The stats are the stats and then they prove that. But if we relax now and we give and take and we lose a little ground here, we lose a little ground there, we're going to be locked down the entire fall. They're predicting a second wave of this thing in the fall, man. So if, if things are, you know, reverting towards a second wave right now, the fall's going to be ugly. I'm just telling you right now, the fall's going to be ugly if we don't take back that momentum now. So what can you do? You could continue to socially distance. You could continue and, and, I touched on this in some work that I did today. Socially distanced doesn't mean lay under the covers like a ghost is in your room. Socially distanced doesn't mean never leave the house. Socially distanced doesn't mean lock yourself in your room and never come out. Socially distanced means if you have a couple of friends over, just don't be hugging them and licking them on the face. Keep a healthy distance. Stay five, six feet away. Um, I know we're an affectionate species. We want to touch. We want to, you know, be around people. We want to, you know, be heavily invested emotionally in people. I'm, I'm with you, but we just have to limit that type of interaction for now. For now. Doesn't mean you can't leave home. Doesn't mean you can't, you know, go and hang out with your pals. Um, but if you are in a situation where you're asked to go to something to where socially distancing is impossible, then just don't go. Don't go. And, and, and your friends or whoever's hosting that event shouldn't be asking you to participate in that. Um, conspiracy theorists, you're morons. 
your morons. This idea of all oh, bro, this is a political game and you're morons. My uncle, my great uncle died of this. You are a moron if you think that this is part of a political conspiracy. Um, now, the way it's being covered, heavily political. I agree there. But the idea that this is fake and, you know, no, you're a moron. Continue to do the things that you're being told to do. Every doctor in the world isn't in on this game. I know the people at Lady of the Sea and at Thibodeau Regional and Austria St. Anne. I personally know some of those doctors and those nurses. They're not all lying to us. Quit watching CSI New York. Quit watching Bones. Quit watching the things that you watch that are all about conspiracy and that are television. They're fiction. Life is not lived that way. If the doctors are telling us to do something, then my God, do it. They train in school for a decade for a reason. It's because they are smarter than you are. And if you're going to be that person who's going to go and find every single social media link of all time, please, by God, look at the dates on some of those things. Yes, it's true. Dr. Fauci at one time told us we didn't need to wear a mask. Yes, it's true. At one time, Dr. Fauci told us that COVID-19 wasn't a big deal. But that was in early March. Things change. That was in early March. Look at the things he's saying now. Yes, the Surgeon General Jerome Adams once said that you don't have to wear a mask. That was in early March. Go look at what he's saying now. I promise you it's a different thing. So if you're going to be that person who wants to be woke on Facebook and wants to find every single little interview clip it that meets your opinions, make sure that the dates of the things that are being said match with reality because this thing changes quick. And I promise you the things that were being said two months ago are not the same things that are being said now. I was once one of you in early March. I was debating family members. Man, this is going to be like swine flu. They're getting us scared for no reason. This ain't going to be a big deal. Four days later, the entire world was closed. I'm not telling you any of this stuff to freak you out. I'm not telling you any of this stuff to scare you. We are still ahead of the curve. We do still have a lead. But I'm just telling you to learn from our past. Learn from our past and see that small losses with this stuff could become huge losses in not a very long amount of time. In March, it was just, you know, at first, just a handful of cases here and there. Then it became a couple of dozen. Then those couple of dozen became a couple of hundred. Then those couple of hundred became a couple of thousand. And the entire world had to close down. So, again, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to panic you. I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm just trying to tell you that if you were making gumbo and you used rotten chicken to make your gumbo, your gumbo was going to come out bad and it was going to make people sick. So the next time you then make a gumbo, human instinct would say, well, I'm going to make sure the chicken isn't rotten this time. So that's the same message I'm telling you here with COVID-19 is that if you just revert back and do exactly the same stuff that you used to do in March, not giving a shit, going out and hugging everybody that you, you know, and going and, and mingling and rubbing elbows with every single last person that you see. And then everybody joins you in doing that. Guess what? We're going to create the same recipe that we created in March with the same rotten chicken that we used in March. And people are going to get sick and life is going to close down again. Period. That's just fact. That's, just, that's reality. Insanity is the process of doing the same thing twice and expecting a different result. If we do the same things now that we did in March, we're going to have the exact same result, which will be numbers are going to go through the roof, our hospitals are going to be overwhelmed, 
and we're going to be right back locked into our houses not able to do anything again so we could either go back right now to, to march mode and be dumb and and forget all the things that we've been told to do or we could be cautious and we could beat this thing once and for all i know what side i'm on and again not a call for panic in any way but you know after several days of every single day the hospitalized numbers going down and every single day the ventilator use going down whenever it becomes seven to ten days of steadying and slow increases it, it makes you alarmed so we've got to stop that momentum now there are 585 people in hospitals in louisiana with covid19 related ailments um that number is slightly down from the 588 that we reported yesterday so good that's great it was we had had three straight days of increases and now we've had a slight decrease again that's good our ventilator use 83 people are on ventilators that number let's see let me pull up the math here that number was 77 yesterday so that number has gone up that ain't good not a cause for panic but not ideal and remember our ventilator used to gotten into the 60s it's now back into the 80s so uh, here's the, the, the thing, and again, I, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse, man. I, I really don't want to keep saying that I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm really not. I just don't want us to fall back into the booby traps of being reckless and being careless. You're tired of doing this. I'm tired of doing this. But if we just quit and go back to what life is normal in the old normal, then we're going to get the old normal results, which were uh, catastrophic, which were terrible. And then we're going to also get the old normal lockdowns, which no one wants. So buy in a little bit. Do some of the new normal things. Wash your hands. I don't know why, in, in God's name, it's such a, a concept that doctors have to tell you to wash your hands. Um, but wash your hands. Uh, limit your distance. Limit your exposure. Do more of the things that we're being coached and taught to do. So, again, those are your hospital numbers. Uh, testing continues to go up in the state of Louisiana. Um, our hospital situation locally continues to be pretty good, man. Um, continued progress. 11 patients on ventilators, 109 are, are available. So that number, very steady. ICU, 33 beds in use, 54 available. That number, very steady. Hospital beds in use, 395 in use, 328 available. That number, very steady. So before you know we kind of scare the hell out of everybody um uh and get too far off of the path we are still ahead we have still made progress we have made great progress but it's a time to uh batten the hatches uh, and dig in a little deeper and continue to make progress so that we could finally get this thing out of here because I, no one no one wants to revert back to where we were so let's just keep doing the things that we're supposed to do and keep doing what we're being coached to do and quit trying to find excuses not to do all, all those things. Quit trying to find, you know, every little uh, wrinkle and every little, you know, thing that, that you could find and form as a conspiracy. No one's out to get you. No one's trying to cheat you. Um, just do the things that we're being coached to do. These doctors are not trying to hurt us. Hear that? You start talking about conspiracies and then all of a sudden a, a jet flies overhead and that, uh, sure that'll uh, ease the minds of some people in southeast louisiana but all jokes aside in lafouche parish we have 1013 cumulative covid cases 
in the parish and we have 78 people who have died of COVID-19 in the parish. So just keep doing what we're doing. We're going to be okay. Um, but I just wanted to issue a, you know, a warning, man. I can't, I, I, I lose all credibility if I only tell you when things are positive. It, to be a good reporter, you have to be willing to tell good and bad. I have to be willing to draw a line in the sand and tell you, hey, man, the numbers the last few days haven't been good. So let's refocus and let's continue to do the things that have gotten us to this point. Before we sign off and before we wrap up this episode, I want to shout out our friends at the Lafouche Parish Sheriff's Office. We are in a situation right now in the world where talking about police officers and the good work that they do is not considered a uh, a, a a cool thing to do. You know, it's been national media has been very hard on on cops and uh, police officers and you know some officers are being defunded and and whatever it may be and I'm not advocating for um, you know the the use of brutal force like we've seen in some instances around the country but I am just trying to tell you that by and large uh, most cops the overwhelming majority of most cops in upwards of the 99 percentile range of most cops are good people who are designed and trained to do good things to protect our communities. And yesterday in Lafouche Parish, there was an example of that. A wanted fugitive by the name of um, Jacob Williams, 35 years old, had barricaded himself into um, a shed in the Marydale community in Thibodeau. There was a four hour long standoff. Williams was wanted by US Marshals. Um, he had a parole violation following a 2009 federal armed robbery conviction for an incident in Missouri. He's a Louisiana native. Uh, he eluded custody in December, left a five-year-old child in a car along with a rifle and narcotics. He was considered armed and dangerous. So yesterday, local law uh, enforcement officials and U.S. Marshals arrived at the 200 block on Ridgewood Street. And after a four-hour standoff, which was de- described as uh, intense, they were able to uh, get Williams into custody without incident, without anybody having to be hurt, without any officers having to be shot at or whatever, because Williams was armed at the time. Um, kudos to Sheriff Weber and his men. Kudos to the U.S. Marshals. Kudos to the Terrebonne Parish Sheriff's Office and Louisiana State Police who responded to assist. Um, and, and great job for everyone involved for having what could have been a tragic situation turn into a peaceful situation and I just want to be the person that while again I don't support uh, police brutality I don't support racial discrimination in terms of how people are policed I don't support people being shot when they're unarmed and killed when they're unarmed none of that but I just want to say that if we want to have the energy and the um, effort to uh, throw down the efforts of those men and women when things go bad somebody's got to be willing to spend the same amount of energy and effort to salute those people when they are doing it the right way and they are serving their purpose which is to keep our community safe and yesterday we had a glowing situation of that where a dangerous person was taken off of the streets and an armed and dangerous person was in a position to do harm to either himself or to others and the situation never materialized as such So thanks to everybody for listening. Go find us on iTunes. Go download Casey's Corner on iTunes. We've got Mason Smith coming up in a couple of shows. We've got more guests lined up in a couple of shows. Um, It's my birthday on Saturday. I'm turning 33. 
give me a birthday present guys my birthday present is go find us on itunes again download subscribe that way we'll send all the shows your way uh thanks to everybody for listening it's been a great show have a great rest of the week god bless everybody